fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and the smell of fresh manna. Today you will be listening to Garrett Morgan, pastor of Big Rapids, Bristol, and Reed City Seventh-day Adventist churches. And now, here's Pastor Garrett. Happy Sabbath, saints. What a blessing it is, as always, to be in the Lord's house with you. I'm excited to study the Word of God with you this morning. Today's sermon is entitled, Stones, Wood, and Some Bread. And obviously, you can read, and you read with Brockton, our scripture reading today. We're going to be taking a look at the significance of those three items in the Ark of the Covenant. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the many blessings that you've given us. Lord, as we study your word today, we want to be lifted on high. Lord, you want to lift us up higher and higher. Lord, and often we're afraid of heights. But Lord, you want to lift us high. Lord, today as we read your word, we ask that you would speak to us, speak to me. and Lord. May we sense your presence in our lives, and may we do something about it. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 22, if you would, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 22. And as you're turning there, let's talk a little bit about what's happening before we read this text. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 is where we're going. And the Pharisees were always trying to trick Jesus into not only stumbling over his words, but leading him to a point in a discussion that would have to force him to choose sides, get him involved in a theological debate to discredit the word of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been asked a question before that was framed in a way where there was no right answer. You ever been asked a question like that? You're asked a specific question that is asked in a certain way to where you're trapped on either side of the question. Some of us are good at constructing those questions. I would hesitate doing that. But Jesus is asked a question that is framed to get him into a debate. You find it here in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. One of the priests there is asking a question, and he says, he's actually a lawyer, by the way, verse 35, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? So in other words, this lawyer, this Pharisee, comes to Jesus, the great rabbi in the minds of many people, and he asks him a question in where there is no right answer. The question is, Master, what is the greatest of the commandments? Now, of course, the right answer to that would be they're all equally important. Amen. And often when Jesus is asked a question like this, he would simply ignore it or he would ask a question back, right? But Jesus here doesn't do that, but he gives a beautiful summary 
of the Ten Commandments. Notice what he says here in verse 37. He answers with no hesitation. Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What a beautiful answer, right? He says the commandments are summarized in these two things. First, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And the second is to treat your neighbor as yourself. Now, taking a look at this in verse 37, it talks about loving God with all your heart. And we've gone through some discussions the past few weeks about how our heart desperately needs a change, doesn't it? Not only does our heart need a change, but we need a new mind, don't we? All of these things, Christ is able to work in us. But as Christians, and I've talked about this before, but Christians often speak our own different language. Have you noticed that? We have a dialect that is very difficult for maybe new Christians to understand sometimes. For instance, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and he used the phrase born again, that is a phrase that Christians have adopted into their common language, right? And we all understand what that means, what it means to be born again. But like Nicodemus, when someone has not heard that phrase before, they often ask the question, what in the world does it mean to be born again? But Jesus here does something interesting. In verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. One of the things that we as Christians do in our language, so to speak, is we often use the phrase, we need to invite Christ into our heart, right? We need to let Jesus dwell in our heart. And there's lots of different phrases or different quotes or stories that we could use from Scripture that talks about inviting Jesus into our heart. We could quote David, where he asks, Create in me a clean heart, O God. You all know that text. We could quote Ezekiel 11, where God says he wants to remove our hearts of stone and give us a heart of what? Give us a heart of flesh. Now, that's an interesting one, because flesh is often seen as a negative thing, isn't it? In Romans, it says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? The flesh is weak. It's easier to mold flesh than it is stone, isn't it? It's easier to work with. That's what it's meaning there in Ezekiel chapter 11. But what does it mean to invite Jesus into our heart? And what does it mean to have a heart change? Well, we're going to be taking a look at that today. But let's take a look at a problem that we have. Flip, if you would, to Isaiah, a very well-known text. Isaiah chapter 59 in verse 1, Isaiah 59, 1, one of the questions that I am asked probably more often than any other as a pastor is, why is it that I don't feel like God is listening to my prayer? Why is it that I don't feel like I'm close with God right now? Why is it it seems like there's a block in my relationship with God? In Isaiah chapter 59, talks about this, and I love how it begins. Isaiah 59.1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. 
So does God get tired of listening to your prayers, yes or no? Absolutely not. If you're in trouble, if you need that new heart, if you desire that new mind, is God incapable of giving that to you? He's fully capable, isn't he? And scripture tells us this. It isn't at the fault of God that we are not hearing him. It isn't the fault of God that we don't feel his presence. But notice what verse 2 says. It says, but your iniquities, which is a fancy word for sin, right? But your sin has separated you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. Now, friends, does God hear the repentance prayer of a sinner? Yes or no? It's not saying that God is never going to listen to you if there's any sin in your life. Don't misunderstand what that text is saying. But what it's saying is that we can often put wedges or separations in our relationship with Christ, can't we? We can put things in that communion with him that push us further and further away from God. Now, let me ask you a question about God. Does God ever move? No, he is unchangeable, isn't he? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In our relationship with God, does God ever walk away from us? No, he doesn't. But often, we walk away from God, don't we? It's like I kind of have the example of God is like this pulpit here that's quite heavy, and God never moves. But when I sin, I push myself away from God, right? The pulpit, God, is still there, but I am moving further and further away from him, not based on this, but based on my own choice. And this, of course, is what we find all the way back in the Garden of Eden, don't we? We talked about this a few weeks ago in prayer meeting. But imagine, I'm a little bit envious of it. Imagine being able to have communion with God the Father in the Garden of Eden each and every day. Just picture that for just a moment. Being able to go on a walk and ask God any question that you want to. Now, I understand that we can do that today, can't we? But being able to dwell in the presence of God physically as well as spiritually and see the expression on his face and hear the tone of how he says what he says as you're in the beauty of his creation. What amazing times that Adam and Eve must have had with God. Did God want that time? Did God want those dates with Adam and Eve to end? Yes or no? He didn't. We, of course, know that God never wanted this to end. But when Adam and Eve sinned and gave that time up, heaven has been obsessed with getting us back to the point that we can walk with God like our forefathers did in the Garden of Eden. God has always desired to have a relationship with you. That is the driving purpose of his heart. That is what heaven has been, and I use the word obsessed because it's true, that is what heaven has been obsessed with getting us back to, 
back to being able to have those communions with God in a perfect environment. Being able to look at our Creator in the face without fear, fear of us being destroyed and God not having fear that we would be destroyed because of His presence. This is what God has been working on for thousands of years. Now, as we talk about this, this is a word getting us back in a relationship with God. That's really the definition of an Old Testament word that's used a lot. Atonement, right? Atonement. At one meant, right? Getting back into that relationship with God. And I've often been asked another question, and maybe you have too. And this is the big point of our message today. Why is it that God doesn't reveal himself today like he used to back in the Old Testament? Why is it that today we can't call pillars of fire down from heaven to destroy sacrifices? Why is it that when we're here in the sanctuary today that we don't see the Shekinah glory in a cloud or the Shekinah glory of God in a pillar of fire? Why is it that we don't hear the audible voice of God thundering from Mount Sinai seeing and hearing all of these things. Where are the miracles that we found in the Old Testament? When God was there with his people in Exodus chapter 25, he said a very important thing. Exodus 25, 8, God said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may, you guys know what it means, dwell among them. Again, we see the purpose of God. He wants to constantly be dwelling with his people. And in the heart of the camp of Israel, you could see the presence of God. And in the heart of the tabernacle, which was in the heart of the camp, we find the Ark of the Covenant, don't we? And in the heart of the Ark of the Covenant, we find three important items. And these items have to do with the presence of God himself. Let's take a look at those today. Hebrews chapter 9. It was our scripture reading today. And while we're reading this text, we'll find the answer. Why is it that we don't see God today like he revealed himself then? Hebrews chapter 9. We'll start here in verse 3. Hebrews chapter 9. In verse 3, we find a description of the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God sat upon the mercy seat between the two cherubs. And we could talk for hours just on that one article of furniture, couldn't we? We don't have time for that today. We're focusing on what is in the Ark of the Covenant. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3, And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant and over it the cherubim of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. This is beautiful stuff here. Let's think about this for just a moment. Most people today have a pretty good idea of what the Ark of the Covenant at least is as an item right? As Christians, we obviously know what the Ark of the Covenant is. We might have a better understanding of its purpose. 
what's in it and all of those things. But the Ark of the Covenant has made its appearance in secular pop culture as well, hasn't it? You hear about the Ark of the Covenant in different movies like Indiana Jones, right? It's there in Raiders of the Lost Ark. People tend to have a pretty good idea of what the Ark of the Covenant is. And in reality, the Ark of the Covenant was the heart of God. This is where God dwelt upon the mercy seat, right? And of course, we understand that there's also a mercy seat in heaven, amen? The place where God dwells for all of eternity. But friends, I would challenge you today, and we'll explain this in just a moment, that in each and every one of your Christian hearts, in order for God to dwell with us like he did there in the sanctuary, we need to have the same three things. We need to have the law of God, some manna, and a rod. Now let's talk about what that means here. Let's first look at the rod. Let's go to Numbers, if you would. We're going to be looking at a few things here today. Numbers chapter 17. We're going to do a couple different texts. Numbers chapter 17. And we'll take a look here at verse 6. Number 17, 6. The children of Israel were trying to figure out who was going to be the high priest, the representation of Christ in the sanctuary. And different tribes thought it should be their people. And so finally God said, get 12 men together from the 12 tribes, and I'll let you know who I want to be my man. And we find this in Numbers chapter 17, and we look here at verse 6, and speaking of anointing a leader for this position, it says, and Moses spoke unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece. So 12 tribes, 12 representatives, 12 rods, right? And behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds, there in verse 8, and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. And Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto the children of Israel, and they looked and took every man his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels, and you shall quite take away their murmurings from me that they die not. So that's one of the things that is inside the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron's rod that budded, a dead piece of wood. Now, a lot of you have worked with wood before, whether it's in a sawmill, whether it's woodworking, whether it's making a handle for a knife. But if a piece of wood is disconnected from the tree, is it going to bloom, yes or no? If you have a cherry branch or an apple branch, and it's cut off from the tree, is it going to produce fruit? Yes or no? No, it's not. In fact, I remember when I was younger and we'd be pruning, we'd prune the trees every year. And it's interesting, every once in a while, you would cut and you're moving pretty quick so you can get this done. And you'd cut and move on. And sometimes you wouldn't cut all the way through. And there'd just be like a little bit of fiber. That branch is just hanging there, just on a few different fibers. And you'd come back in the spring and that branch would still be hanging and it would still be alive, technically, right? There'd still be some life flowing through it, but not enough to bring any leaves, not enough to bring any fruit. It was just hanging there, right? Just barely hanging on. I think there's a lesson to be learned there. We can take a look at that later sometime. But here we find the rod of Aaron that budded. Now, of course, we know some other things as well that I want to take a look at, but 
the commandments of God, which was what? Written with God's own finger. Amen? I think we all know a lot about that. But finally, let's look at the last one here, the manna in Exodus chapter 16. If you turn there with me, Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 15. Exodus 16, 15. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, angel food. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take you every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some, some more, and some less. And we find that a pot was also filled with this manna and put before the Ark of the Covenant as well. Three things, a rod, some bread, and a few stones. All of those items are dead, aren't they? Can a stone bring forth life, yes or no? They can't. Can a stick that's been cut off from a tree bring forth life, yes or no? Can some bread that's been there for thousands of years, can it bring forth life? No, it can't. So what is it that was special? What was it that brought these things to life, so to speak? The promise of Jesus. And in all of our hearts, figuratively speaking, we need to have the three same items. Let's take a look here at John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And we'll look here at verse 48. This is interesting. The Jews were arguing about where manna came from. The Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Oh, Moses brought us bread from heaven. And Jesus said, What are you talking about? I thought God did that. But he continues here on this subject in verse 48. And notice what Jesus says. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. Jesus isn't trying to be morbid here, but he looks around at the Israelites that basically worship Moses, right? And he said, as far as I know, all of your ancestors ate of the manna that came from God, and they're all dead now. But there's something that I have to offer that's way better than manna. This is the bread, verse 50, which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Friends, today, I hope that you have a bowl of manna in your heart. I hope that you have partaken of the life of Christ and that it's not just stale old bread in a bowl, but I hope it's something that you use. 
Let's keep going here, talking about the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone that were given to Moses, cold, hard pieces of stone. Go to Jeremiah, if you would, with me here. Jeremiah, right after the book of Isaiah. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. And all the way back in the Old Testament here in Jeremiah, we find new covenant language. Jeremiah 31 and verse 33. Notice what it says here in this text. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Talking about you, by the way. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it where? In their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Friends, does God want his law in your hearts as well as his manna? Of course he does. And finally, Let's tie this together here. John 15. Last text today. John 15. We talked about the fulfillment of the manna. We talked about the fulfillment of the law of God written in our hearts. And finally, we come back to the rod. This stick that's been cut off. Notice what it says here. John 15. We'll start here in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same bring forth much fruit. For without me, you can do how much? You can do nothing. Friends, today, every single one of us has been given these three gifts. And these three gifts has been offered to every human life in this world. We've been offered a life, the rod of Aaron. We've been offered the word of God. You have it sitting there right before you. And you have been offered the law of God to be written on all of our hearts. And for some of us, maybe you have included those in your new heart. Maybe that's something that's important to you. But friends, let me warn you of a terrible truth. Without Jesus, those things are just cold, dead relics. You might have them propped up. You might have them at front and center. And people can see them as they look at you. You might bring your Bible to church. You might claim to live a life that is after Jesus and is committed to him. But friends, if you truly do not have Jesus living in your heart, then those things are going to be dead. And they're going to be dead because we are dead. As I walk around without Jesus, I'm just a ticking time bomb of death. Not to be morbid, but it's true, right? But friends, today, that's the wonderful thing about our Savior. It's no wonder that so many people don't find joy in the law of God. My friends, if you don't have Jesus in your life, when you read the law of God, they're going to seem cold. They're going to seem harsh, oppressive. 
and worthless. But when you have Christ and his love in your heart, and you read the laws of God, they don't become stone, but they become alive. They become important. They become laws of love and of liberty. Friends, today, a lot of people wonder when they read the word of God, and they think to themselves, man, this is really hard stuff to get through. Friends, if we don't have a relationship with Christ and we don't pray for his understanding before we read this book, then it might even appear dead to you. It might appear as something that is boring or something that is outdated or something that is a good story. But man, I would rather watch 90 minutes of Hollywood than look at this book. And trust me, it might be more entertaining at first. But when you know the author of the word of God, it becomes personal, doesn't it? It becomes something that isn't just a book, but it becomes a letter that God has given you just for you. But friends, most importantly, well, I don't know most importantly, but just as important, just as a branch cannot bear fruit without being connected to its life source, we cannot live a fulfilled life without being connected to Jesus. In fact, your life is going to appear and is going to feel utterly dead without Jesus. And you might be doing incredible things on the outside. It might look like that you're living a very successful life. It might even look like that you're an amazing Christian and that you're an active member in the church. And hey, hallelujah for those things. But unless you're connected to Jesus, then the fruit that you think that you have is going to be forbidden fruit. Friends today, these are things that God has given us. And we need to invite Jesus to be a part of our lives. Going back to our original question though, why is it that we don't see the fire coming down from heaven? Why is it that we don't see the presence of God in a pillar of fire? Why is it that we don't hear his audible voice? Well, the last time that God tried to speak his audible voice to a group of people, they got scared and they didn't want to hear him anymore. I wonder today in the Bristol church, if God spoke audibly, if we would be ready to listen. That's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. But the reason that God is not revealing himself in a pillar of cloud or a fire coming down from heaven is not because he can't, because he still can if he chose to. God could easily do those things with a snap of his finger, but he's chosen to do something far more powerful. He's chosen to show his presence and show his wondrous changing life through his people, through you. God isn't looking for a show. God isn't looking for these signs and wonders because, by the way, when the Pharisees would look for a sign and wonder from Christ, he wouldn't give it to them because it wouldn't have done any good. But the wonders and the signs that God is wanting to show today before his second coming in the times when things are like never before, it's through his people. 
Friends, today, you are an example of what God can do. You are an example of a dead piece of wood that suddenly can bear fruit and blossom. That's what God has called every one of us to be. And it's impossible for us to do it without Jesus. He must be alive and present in your heart. The evidence of God seen today is seen through his people. It's seen through his church. And if we're not bearing fruit as people, if we're not bearing fruit as a church, then we have to ask ourselves a pretty hard question, don't we? Is Christ living within me? And when we read the Ten Commandments, the laws of God, and we see rules instead of blessings, then we have to ask ourselves another question, don't we? Is Christ living in me? Have I invited him here? When we're reading the Word of God and it's something that isn't enjoyable to us and we'd rather be doing something else, we have to ask ourselves a question, don't we? What in my life is taking priority over the Word of God, the bread of life? God has never wished for humanity to suffer death. God has never wanted you to die, physically and spiritually speaking. But heaven has been obsessed with getting us back to the point of eternal life, and not just an eternal life of sin, but an eternal life of walking with God daily. And friends, today, if you want to walk with God eternally, you have to start walking with God today. Because eventually, like Enoch, you'll be walking with God in a new earth. Amen? You, like Adam and Eve, will be in the presence of God daily, asking him questions, laughing with God. Don't you believe that? You want to laugh with God? I know that I do. I can't wait to hear the laugh of God. How amazing is that going to be? Friends, we have to hear the voice of our shepherd now if we'll recognize it when he comes again. Father, Lord, we just want to thank you so much that you want us. And Father, we want you. Lord, today we ask that we would not be living a religious experience that is cold and formal and dead. But Father, may our experience be living because, Father, we serve a living Savior, a risen Savior. And Father, help us to act not like dead Christians, but ones that are truly alive and excited about a budding plan that you have for his people. We pray in your name. Amen. You have been listening to Garrett Morgan, pastor of Big Rapids, Bristol, and Reed City Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the Big Rapids Seventh-day Adventist Church at 1031 Rose Avenue in Big Rapids, and their church service begins at 930 a.m. 
or visit the Bristol Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 11 225 East 8 Mile Road in Tustin, and their church service begins at 11.30 a.m. Or visit the Reed City Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 17 290 U.S. Highway 10 in Hersey, and their church service begins at 3 p.m. This program has been a Strong Tower Radio production.